Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Stat Stories. We take a deeper dive at statistical intrigues throughout professional sports. Episode two for the MLB. We're still sticking with baseball because it is the summer and that's all there is to talk about right now. But thankfully, you're here with someone who loves baseball. My name is Chad Shanks. I am a Houston resident and grew up a fan of the Houston Astros and a few other sports teams that I may or may not still be fans of. With me is my podcasting partner, Justin Kabatko, a uh, Ohio resident right now, but not an Ohio sports fan. Am I correct? That is correct. Ohio State sports fan. Ohio State, so the university sports fan, big time. But pro sports teams, I'm a Pittsburgh guy. Grew up in the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, you talked about liking the Astros. Just to remind you, the Astros have never won the World Series. Oh, I had forgotten that. I had forgotten that. Houston is in that list now that since Cleveland's won a title that Houston's up there as far as the like longest droughts for professional sports but hey no I, no, I don't think so the Rockets won a couple in the mid 90s so that was 20 years ago that was a wow. long ass time ago and we're not giving that team any credit anyway the Sports Illustrated said the Astros are winning the title in 2017 so we just this is another tune-up and then next year the Astros are going to win it all well they, they nailed the Royals Joe Posnanski wrote an article about that like Five or six years before the World Series, before the Royals won the World Series, he, he predicted a World Series title in 2015 for Kansas City, and it came true, so you never know. Anyway, we're going off the rails here. Let's get back on track. Nope, we're looking good. So, in our NBA podcast, one of the episodes we did, we drafted a team of the all-time best shooters, but they had to fit into a team, so it was a little caveat. So we had a good time doing that. So we're going to kind of change it up and adapt it to baseball, and we're going to draft a team plucking the best starters from modern history in baseball and see who can pick together the best five-man rotation based on individual seasons. We're trying to answer the question, if you could assemble the best starting rotation ever based on an individual season and an individual performance, who would you pick? So that's what we're going to do. Get ready to draft. This is episode 13, A Call to Arms. So this topic was inspired a little bit by discussions looking at the stats for Clayton Kershaw this year, who up until just recently where he was sidetracked with a back injury was having just an incredible season. So through 16 starts, he had the lowest whip ever in in modern time. He was on pace to break that record. He had the best uh, strikeout to walk ratio ever, and it's not even close. His yeah, I was gonna say saying the best there that doesn't even do even, it justice because it was obscene. Close. Yeah, five more like the it's five points higher than the second highest, but he's only gonna. It looks like he's done for the season. They haven't officially announced it, but it's not looking good for him. But if so, if he doesn't come back, I don't. You know, we can get into that debate about how many starts a pitcher has to make in a season before it's considered great. But it really inspired this conversation. Well, are we missing what could have been one of the greatest pitching seasons ever? Because Kershaw himself has already had a couple that could be in the argument. You know, just winning the Cy Young and MVP. If was it two years ago? And um, so that got us going as well. How do you actually quantify or rank the best starting pitching performances ever? So we're going to make it a little more fun and we're going to do a little draft just like we did with the shooting teams. 
we don't know who each other is going to pick yet. So we're going to go through and we'll set it up and tell you a little bit of how we're going to do it and conduct our own little fantasy draft here. So we're going to alternate selecting starters from a single season until we each have a five-man rotation. And then we'll defend our defend our pick or mock the other person's pick. And then at the end, we'll compile it and try to see who has the best all-time rotation. Okay, a couple of things here, right? So a couple of things we need to point out. Number one is... You've said ever a few times, we're not actually going to use the entirety of baseball history to conduct this draft. So what we decided to do was make the cutoff 1961, which many people call the post-expansion era in baseball. And there are a few reasons why we decided to cut it off there. Number one, that's the season when uh, the schedule expanded from 154 games to 162 games. That was also the season where two new teams debuted in the AL, uh, the Angels and the Senators. And that was the first league changes in like 60 years or something like that. And then two new franchises were added to the NL the next year. And then I think in 1969, they added some more teams. So that was kind of the start of expansion. And also by 1961, almost all of the Major League Baseball teams were fully integrated. Jackie Robinson, of course, debuted in 1947, but... It took some time for uh, some teams to adapt to the changes that were being made in the game. But by, by that point, it had been 14 years since Robinson's debut. And like I said, for the most part, teams were fully integrated at that time. So whenever here, we're talking about really post-expansion era, 1961 to present. Yeah, the general modern era. Because... Pitching has changed a little bit since the the days of Cy Young and Walter Johnson dominating the league. Um, so, like, if you look up just a general search on StatMuse, which since the stats go all the way back to 18, 1876 in our database, if you search most strikeouts in a season, you're going to get a guy named Matt Kilroy, who struck out 513 batters in 1886, which just sounds insane. But you look at how many innings he pitched. He pitched 583 innings in 68 games. He started 66 of them. I mean, that's just unheard of in today's pitching. That's you're still we'd still be comparing picture, pitchers, but it's as close to comparing apples and oranges as possible when it gets to well, yeah, not players the same from game. the same position. Not the same game at all. Different roles, etc. Not not even remotely the same. Yeah, there's us. The most record for most innings pitched in the season is 680 by uh, Will White, who also has a record for most complete games in a season, which was 75 in 1879. Dude threw 75 complete games. But somewhere along the line, they started realizing, oh, pitchers' arms are just falling off. Like, we, we can't do this. This is not a wise investment for the teams or the players themselves. So the last player to even go over 300 uh, innings in a season with Steve Carlton in 1980. So the game has changed quite a bit. And uh, so we're going to take that into account. But something else that's changed quite a bit, I'm going to get off on a sidetrack here because I think it's going to be fun. Looking back at all these old stats, I was just shocked at some of the names of the players. Like there were just some crazy ass names of these baseball players. So I want to play a quick little game for this is a pre-draft game, okay? I'm sure. gonna give I'm gonna give you four names of players. Three of the four are real players who played baseball. Okay. 
and one of them's made up. And I need you, you have to guess which one is made up, all right? Okay, yeah, sure. You ready? All right, this yeah. is the first group. It's going to be four, four of them. I, I'd, be, I'd feel much more confident if this was an NBA quiz, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? All right, here's the, here's the list. Ready? Heine Zimmerman. Real. Cooter McGraw. Bug Holiday. Jiggs Donahue. I'm going to go with Cooter McGraw. That is correct. That is a, ah! that is a made-up name. So there was a guy named Bug Holiday and Jiggs Donahue. All right. That's all right. You got one. Next group. Ready? Oh, jeez. There's more of these? Okay, sure. Yes. Yeah, there's three groups. Next one. Ham Huggins, Urban Shocker, Cannonball Titcomb, Pickles Dillhofer. Pickles Dillhofer. Pickles Dillhofer is real. The first one then is not Ham real. Hug Ham Huggins okay. is not real, but Urban Shocker and Cannonball Titcomb. You can search for both of those on StatMuse right now and it will work. All right, last group. Ready? Sure. Dick Cotter, Dick Pole, Dick Patton, Johnny Dickshot. Okay, there's a pattern here. <laughs> Would you like that... me to say them again with more emphasis? Please no. Second one. It was a trick question. They are all real. Oh, all of okay. those are real players. So you've got you got one out of three. So that's that you're batting three hundred. So that's that's Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame level three thirty three actually. Yeah, don't correct my math. All right. <laughs> so one more thing before we get going with this draft, or we can just do this for an hour. Do you want me to just keep calling out random names? No. But hey, we let's, got. Let's, if let's you, move on. If uh, what's his name? If Johnny Dickshot, you know, traveled in time and saw today's game he'd be like you know what the hell is a mookie bets or a coco crisp so maybe we have some pretty weird games uh, names these days as well so one thing we need to talk about getting back to this draft once a player is selected you're selecting his an individual season from that player you know so if we're if you're selecting uh name a random player you know if you're selecting if you take roger clemens yeah, you're you not going to Nobody yeah, else can select a season from hit from him because he's off the board at that point. In other words, you're not. It'd be boring to have a draft where there's like eight Roger Clemens selections. So once yeah. a player is selected, once a year for a player has been selected, even if you would want to take another year for that player, doesn't matter. He's off the board. Can't pick it. Yep. Too bad. He's gone. Um, I think have we explained everything? Have we, have we gotten our? Are we ready to do this? Yes. And the ceremonial coin flip took place off air and. Chad, you were the winner, so you will select first. Yes, I get to select first. You got to select first in the basketball draft, so it's my turn. If I if I screw this up, it's my own fault. I can't blame anyone but myself. All right, so I've ranked my I've, I have my draft board here. I've ranked my players. We've ranked them based on a variety of different stats, and we're gonna defend them as we see fit. But my first overall pick, I didn't I thought was a no brainer as far as the player is concerned. But I think there's a little bit of debate about which year to choose. So with my first overall pick, I'm going to choose Pedro Martinez from 1999. That was my first pick if I got the first overall pick. Well, so kudos. 99 or 2000? Were you going 99 as well? I was going 99 as well. But they were so, obviously both phenomenal seasons. So I so debated. Go ahead. Yeah, I debated. I went back and forth and I had I had 2000 I was gonna go with uh, the 2000 season because in the 2000 season he had 1.74 ERA a 0.74 whip 
which was until Clayton Kershaw's 16 starts this year was the lowest whip by a pitcher with 20 uh, in a season ever, a starter. Um, the league it's batting, still, it's it's going to be because I don't think yeah, if Kershaw doesn't gonna, pitch. Kershaw doesn't pitch again this season. Should not count for him. Yeah, and so he had a 1.74 ERA when the league batting average that season was 271, which was tied for the highest since 1940. And the league average ERA was 477, which is the highest it's been in a season since. And that's the more important number. That black yeah. batting average. Who cares? Nobody cares about that. Yeah. So the, he was. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that it was the height of the steroids era. It was. Off, all offense, offense, offense. And he had a 1.74 ERA that season. The second best ERA was Clemens at 370. So even for the second best pitcher that season, as far as ERA is concerned, he, I mean, he had it like almost half, you know, half of that. So that's that's who I, that's what I was going to go with. I was going to go with 2000, but yeah, I was say, yeah, these all these numbers you're talking about too are from 2000, not yeah, the season 2000. You So I ended up picking. I went with 1999. He had a he had an ERA of two oh seven, a WHIP of .92, which is a little bit higher. But he did have more wins that season. He went twenty three and four and three hundred and thirteen strikeouts. He had more strikeouts. Um, he also, but he had a lower uh, fielding independent pitching that year, which I'll let you kind of explain a little bit about what what that is because you can yeah, explain well, it better than I can. Yeah. So FIP or FIP, I don't know how people prefer to say it anyway uh it's an estimate of a pitcher's run prevention independent of his team's defense so basically it just looks at the things that a pitcher has full control over which would be home runs allowed strikeouts and walks and it uses those numbers to come up with a uh, a number that is scaled similar to era but yeah so his his fip that season was 1.38 that's by far the best in the post-expansion era. I think it's the best, like by a third of a run or something like that. It's yeah. just insane. Yeah, it was phenomenal. But also, uh, the stat that the stat that we used was PRAA. Which do people? I'm not as advanced in the stats as you are. So PRAA was something you've you've brought me on to. Um, do they call it PRA or do they call it just PRAA? Like it's I, ERA. I think you would you would just say can runs we, above average. Just, can we call can we call it PRA? Because I would like to just say he no, had a seventy-eight point nine pra, because a seventy-eight point nine pra nah. is really good. So tell us a little bit about uh, PRAA. So yeah, runs above average. It just basically takes into account um, the number of runs a pitcher has allowed in the innings that he pitched, compared to what a league average pitcher would allow in the same number of innings pitched. So if you're a league average pitcher you're going to have a value of zero for that because you allowed the same number of runs as a league average pitcher did in the same number of innings. Positive is good, negative is bad. Yeah, and in 1999, Pedro's was 78.9. The second highest ever is only 65.9, I think, was uh, Randy Johnson a couple of years later. But uh, So wait, and once again, here, when you're way, saying ever, you're just you're restricting just, yourself sorry, to post- yeah. Post expansion era, yeah. Just, just so we don't. Yeah. Sorry, when I say that, when I say that, you've already made, yeah, made that clear. But when I'm, I'm just saying that because it's coming off the top of my head. But yeah, when I say ever, I'm talking about. I should, I should be more specific. My bad. Just since. Um, no, no problem. Our, I just, yeah. Since our filters, yeah, since our filters of um, post integration, post expansion, all that good stuff. But so when you look at his two seasons, ninety nine and two thousand, I mean, both of them were phenomenal. And trying to figure out which one of the two was the was the better you know it's almost a coin flip 
but um, I was looking and I found an interview with Pedro Martinez. Uh, he was on with Mike Francesca, and Mike Francesca was asking him, when were you at your best? And, Francesca. Uh, French- Francesca, sorry. Mike Francesca was saying, I don't, I'll never listen to the guy, but Mike, I know he's popular, but we, we don't get him down here in Houston uh, on the radio, so sorry about that. But he was on the show. Mike was asking him about when were you at your best, when were you at your most dominant, and here's what Pedro had to say. What year did you think this is the best Pedro anybody saw? What year would that be? I would say 99. 99? 99, even though the 2000 season is right there with it because it's a carryover. Right. I felt like I was on top of everybody. 37 watts, 300 and something strikeouts. Ridiculous. I mean... Uh, It it was just, I'm out to get you. 37 walks, 313 strikeouts. Yeah. That, that those two years, I, I felt special. You did. I felt like '99 was the year where I, I felt above everybody. I felt like I was on top of the mound and looking down at everybody. And so, by Pedro's own admission, he says that 1999 was when he was at his best, when he was at the most untouchable. So, I figured, hey, Pedro knows better than I do. So, I ch- I went with 1999. Pedro Martinez, even though I don't think you could be faulted with really with going with either one of them. So that's my first pick. That's my my ace, my game one starter, 1999, Pedro. All right, so yeah, solid first pick. Uh, Like I said, that's who I would have gone with had I had the first overall selection. So I'm just glad that I got that so that that you're not going to be able to just cream me for screwing up the first pick so that i'm already happy i don't even care who i pick anymore no like yeah i i mean i thought that was an absolute well one of pedro's seasons was an absolute no-brainer for the first selection and i like you would have chosen 99 so anyway with my first pick this is tough um but i am going to go with another pitcher from the same era oh really i'm gonna go with the big unit randy johnson in 2001 Wow. All right. So I have I have him on my list, but I do not have him that high. Let tell me why you you went for him that high. Okay, so first of all, uh of course Randy Johnson's known for strikeouts. 372 strikeouts that season. That's the third most in the modern era. So going all the way back actually to 1900, that's the third most of all time. Um he had 301 more strikeouts than walks. So he and Sandy Koufax are the only pitchers to do that in the modern era, have 300 uh, or more strikeouts minus walks. So incredible. And that season he had 23 games with 10 or more strikeouts, which is tied for the most in the post-expansion era. Four pitchers did it. Tied with himself, by the way. I was going to say, four pitchers did it, but three of those pitchers were Randy Johnson because he also did the same thing in 99 and 2000, and Nolan Ryan did it once. three seasons in a row. Crazy. And so I think one of the most amazing things about Johnson, not just this season, but just overall, is that early in his career, he really, really struggled with his control. So in his first five seasons, he averaged almost six walks per nine innings, 5.71 walks per nine innings. But then something happened in 93. Something clicked in 93. From that point forward, he only he averaged only 2.65 walks per nine innings. So he more than cut his walk rate in half, which was incredible. And that's, of course, what made him an all-time great pitcher. Yeah. 
yeah, definitely an amazing season. The one reason I kind of ranked him a little bit lower was just his ERA was a, was high compared to the greatest seasons of all time at 2.49. Um, so I, I dropped him down just a little bit because of that. But yeah, that's we're we're splitting hairs here when we're talking about the greatest seasons ever. Like if you get to the point where a 2.49 ERA and 372 strikeouts, you're saying, well, that's not as good. Well, then, you know, that's just... It, you know that's what happens when you start ranking these types of seasons but but yeah that so that 2.49 that doesn't sound great necessarily but you have to remember the time i mean this yeah. is once again big offense error right so era minus is a statistic where you take a pitcher's era and you adjust it for his league and his park okay and every percentage point above or below 100 is going to be equivalent to one percentage point better or worse than the league average so lower is better just like era Lower is better for ERA minus. So his ERA minus was 59 that year, um, which is really, or I'm sorry, it was 54 that year, which is really, really good. I mean, that's, he's basically given up half the runs that a league average pitcher would give up in the same number of innings. So, yeah, and we're confining our, our stats to regular season, but, you know, that was the season that he just happened to win three games in a World Series. And, you know, one of them the, in relief. Yeah. So yeah, phenomenal season. Now I can't fault you for that, but um, I'm just glad that it's going to open up for. I get my my second selection as my second pick is. Um, unless are you are you through with Randy Johnson? I don't mean to cut you off. I am finished with Randy Johnson. All right. Big unit for the big Kabatco. All right, round two. With my pick in round two, I'm going to select uh, the most badass pitcher maybe the most badass baseball player in the modern era with mr bob gibson in 1968 even if his stats weren't that great he would still throw the ball at your goddamn head and get you off the plate and just just be an all-around badass but in 1968 bob gibson went 22 and 9 and had a 1.12 era which is the lowest ERA in a season by a pitcher with 10 starts, going all the way back to 1920. So just for almost from that stat alone, Bob Gibson, and that record still stands, by the way, and just for that stat alone, it's impressive. But he also put up a 0.85 whip, 268 Ks, and he also threw 28 complete games that season. But like we said, that was... A, even a different time in the 60s as far as pitchers throwing complete games whereas nowadays i mean what the league leader in complete games this year or last year they might throw five or six is that is that correct you know somewhere around there but back then he was he was throwing 28 complete games and still keeping his era at 1.12 and Good. go ahead well i was gonna say a couple things here which 1968 is famously known as the year of the pitcher yeah. So you, you quoted Gibson stats, which were amazing. But like some of the other pitchers that season, uh, Louis Tiant had a 1.68 ERA and 264 strikeouts. Sam McDowell, a 1.81 ERA and 283 strikeouts. Denny McLean had a 1.96 ERA and 131 games, the last 30-game winner in Major League Baseball. So uh, Gibson had a great season, and he was on my list, and I would have picked him at some point had he been available. But that year was a funky year. In fact, the, the Major League Baseball ERA that year was 2.98. That's the lowest since 1920 by more than a quarter of a run. 
So yeah, didn't I mean, they, didn't they adjust the mound just after that season too? Right. Is that so correct, yeah, they, or am I making that up? No, no, no. They did. They lowered the mound because of Bob Gibson because he was so dominant. Well, it wasn't just you know Gibson. what Bob Gibson. <laughs> Bob Gibson would throw the ball at your face just for putting him in the same conversation with those other bums you just mentioned, Denny McLean. No one, no one gives a shit about Denny McLean because Bob Gibson would have just brushed anyone's ass off the plate, and you don't even need to mess with it. I'm not criticizing I'm the just, pick. I'm just give, giving it some perspective here. Um, one more thing that was interesting. So you said he lost nine games, which I'm kind of one of those people who hates the pitcher wins and losses as stats. Uh, but whatever. Yeah, let, but, yeah. but let's let's no, but let's because there's something interesting about those losses. So you know what the definition of a quality start is for a pitcher? Uh, six innings, three runs or less. Yeah, six six or more innings pitched, three or fewer earned runs allowed. Every single one of his losses that season would qualify as a quality start. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the lot. That maybe that's something we can get into right now. It's it's a part of baseball when you, especially with starters, when you're going to evaluate and rank them. Yeah, their one loss record is is part of it. And anytime a pitcher wins 20, 20 games in a season, hey, that's amazing. But yeah, the, the, the stat is just so dubious because, like you said, Bob Gibson or someone like that can go eight innings of one hit ball, leave not allowing a run or allowing one run and their team doesn't score any or a closer could blow the game for them and they don't get credit for it. So yeah, it does. it's not always the best indicator of how well a pitcher does, but it's there for a reason. There is there is some truth to it. So yeah, I see what you're saying. So, but that's why we kind of try to integrate some of these these more advanced stats that give you that that take those things out of the equation. Correct. Correct. Just that just focus on the pitcher's performance himself. But uh, Bob Gibson, of course, had an amazing season or amazing career. Considered one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But um, even he himself said that everything came together for him in 1968. So his little clip of an interview where he where he says that he thought this was his best season 68 just happens to be the year that everything came together and uh, yeah i was in a zone i was probably as strong as i'd ever been in my life and i knew how to pitch by that time and of course good uh gibson won the both the cy young award and the mvp that season so i'm gonna i'm standing by my pick uh era be damned i I, I'm taking me some Bob Gibson as my second pick. Okay, so you just played a clip of Bob Gibson, right? I did. So the next guy I'm going to pick, good luck finding some clips of him. Okay. My selection in round two is Steve Carlton, 1972. Oh, you're about, you're about to get served some humble pie because... I have some Steve Carlton. I found some Steve Carlton because I have him on my list. Uh, okay. I don't have him as high as you do, but let, please defend your selection. Okay, so we're just talking about how lousy pitcher wins are, but I'm going to use them to start off. So he won 27 games that year for a team that was 59-97. and 97. Yeah. So that percentage, which is almost 46% of his team's wins, that's the highest in the modern era. In other words, going all the way back to 1900. So that's insane. That a team that lousy, a pitcher could win 27 games. If you look at guys in the post-expansion era, there are only five that had at least 300 strikeouts and an ERA less than two in a season. Carlton's one of them in that season. Yep. He had 30 complete games, which is tied for the most in the post-expansion era. 
And then finally, he had 19 complete games in which he allowed one or fewer earned runs. That's the second most in the post-expansion era. Yeah, it's just crazy. They they were just a garbage team. One of the, just the bottom feeder team. And he goes there and just has this great year. But it was 1972. And so let's, to get a little more in that in that spirit, here's a little clip I found just with some badass 70s narration and music just recapping the amazingness that was Steve Carlton's 1972 season. In 1972, Steve Carlton played on one of the worst teams in baseball, the Philadelphia Phillies. Yet whenever Steve took the mound that year, the Phils were suddenly transformed into winners. Carlton was simply overpowering as he led the league in shutouts, earned run average, and wins. Steve was so dominant that at one point he won 15 straight games. Incredibly, by the end of the season, Carlton had won 27 games, nearly half of the team's total. Despite the Phillies' last place finish, Steve Carlton was named the National League's Cy Young Award winner. All right, so that was incredible. That, that is everything that was wonderful about the 70s. Before you might remember some of that, right? As a, you probably watched that video as a baby. No, I did not. I wasn't even. I, I was wasn't born. Even alive. I was born in the seventies, but I'm not gonna say exactly when. All right, I I think that's a very good pick. I had him on my list, but not not as high as you did, obviously. But very. Wait, good wait, pick. you were talking about serving me some humble pie. What was that all about? You said I couldn't find any videos about Steve Carlton. I found oh, a video I about. Okay, well, let me clarify now. Videos of him actually speak. Or I'm sorry audio of him actually speaking we, because he can, was he was famous for not talking to reporters i can i'll i can find you some of that and i think the reason he didn't want to talk to reporters was maybe maybe because of his voice it's let's just say well, it's not, he, not the most he, he's not the most eloquent sounding gentleman steve i don't think it's any secret to anybody that you really didn't get along with the media that well you didn't really enjoy talking to him what was it about the media that you didn't like <laughs> oh boy! Um, I, I personally had a lot of friends in the media. I, I just thought that uh, at a point it became an obstacle that uh, that interfered with my performance on the on the field. So mm -hmm. I I decided uh, you know they could do a better job writing without my quotes. You know which which they did. I mm -hmm. thought they wrote much better after I stopped talking to them. He also has some very interesting opinions which you should go read about if you're interested he he, he is a conspiracy theory nut so it was oh, probably yeah, for like, the best it was like probably politics? for the best that, what's that like polit you talking like politics aliens what what kind of conspiracies i think anything and everything uh, you go read about it. it it's he's an interesting dude let's put it that way all right well i don't necessarily mean interesting in a good way either but you know well, maybe you judge for yourself. let's do a follow-up episode all about steve carlton <laughs> The, the wild, weird world of Steve Carlton. All right, so that's it. That's round two. Let's move on to round three. So round three, you were uh, you were dipping in the era in which you were born. For my uh, for my third pick, I'm going to dip into the era in which I was born. Uh, let's go. Let's go to the '80s. I know you're going with here. Let's go to 1985, particularly, and get one of the most electric young pitchers who uh, things didn't exactly work out for. Uh, Dwight Gooden from the Mets, who in 1985 went 24-4, and a 1.53 ERA, uh, whip under one, 
uh, strikeouts. He set, just the year before actually, set the MLB record for strikeouts by a rookie. And then in this season became the youngest pitcher uh, to win their 20th game in a season. Right, he was only uh, 20 years old, right? Yeah, he, he was still a baby. But uh, I think the, the sad thing is is he's not he's not known as much for this season anymore or the success that that the the Mets had with him and Strawberry as he is with the addictions that he battled and how everything just kind of spiraled out of control for him. Um, he did rounds of media around the uh, ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about um, Strawberry and, and Gooden. Uh, Doc and Daryl, I think they called it, and where he admitted when the Mets had their 1986 World Series parade, he missed it because he was out getting high the night before and woke up and saw that it was happening on TV, and he missed it. Um, yeah, so this a lot of his season is is kind of forgotten. Um, Jason Stark, ESPN's reporter, uh, said one time on Sports Center that the the game was lost in history. We had in 1985, 24-4, 1.53 ERA. It, it still feels to me like it's lost in history. If you go by wins above replacement, it's the greatest season by any pitcher in the live ball era. How about that? Yeah, so not, not that many people remember this, this Dwight Gooden because what's mostly remembered is the, the promise and the career that seemed to get thrown away by, by addiction. But, yeah, he was amazing and just untouchable at, at such a young age yeah right so going with that like 84 is rookie season he's 19 years old he strikes out 270 something batters wins rookie of the year leads the league in strikeouts next year 85 he has a season for the ages the one you just described right he leads the league in strikeouts again etc then 86 his personal statistics weren't as good but the Mets won the World Series so first three years rookie of the year Cy Young and World Series champion. That's a pretty big, good start yeah, to a career. That's how you do it. And sadly, it all went downhill. He did have his kind of renaissance period where he showed up at the Yankees uh, in the 90s, ended up throwing, he threw a no-hitter, I believe, in the Yeah, 90s. one of the probably one of the most unlikely no-hitters ever, given his, his state at the time. Yeah. But anyway, for, for our purposes, we're looking at lightning in a bottle and that's essentially what he was for the mid 80s in new york so my third member of my staff dwight gooden from 1985. okay so we're in round three here i'll wrap up round three now as i look at this i've picked left-handers with my first two picks and i'm actually going to go with another lefty so i mean you know if you're talking about the post-expansion era you have to pick one of this guy's seasons so i'm going to go with sandy koufax 1965. good pick now, there were, there were a couple seasons like for Sandy that I was debating. Mostly it was between 1963 and 1965. I decided to go with 65. So that season, he had um, 382 strikeouts, which was a new modern record. Nolan Ryan broke it in the 70s with 383, but it's still the second highest total of all time oh, in the modern era. Um, he had 311 strikeouts minus walks. So 311 uh, more strikeouts than walks. That's 10 more than any other pitcher in the modern era, which is amazing. So he's striking guys out. He has control. And his whip was 0.855. That's the fifth lowest in the post-expansion era. Post-expansion era. Uh, so, but what's the asterisk I should probably mention here? 
with Sandy Koufax. Yep. The same thing you criticized me for picking Bob Gibson about. Yeah, but even like it's actually more than the extreme of that. So he had extreme, extreme, extreme home road splits. So Dodger, oh, really? St- Dodger Stadium was just known as this ridiculous pitcher's park in that time. Uh, you know, one of the things they said that was that the Dodgers sort of cheated a little bit and built the mound up extra high to give their pitchers an advantage. So, like, if you look at his ERA splits that season, when he started at Dodger Stadium, his ERA was 1.38. When he started on the road, his ERA was 2.72. So huge disparity. I mean, most pitchers pitch better at home but not that much better. And something else I want to bring up too that I had in my, my notes for Koufax was um, you talked about his 311 strikeouts minus uh, walks being the, the best in the modern era. Uh, it's, but it's the second all-time for strikeouts in the season to uh, Nolan Ryan's 383 in 1973. And um, I hope I'm not spoiling anything, but I didn't, I didn't include Nolan Ryan on any of my best seasons list because you look at that uh, a lot of his seasons even though he struck out you know nearly 400 players in 1973 he also walked 162 and ended up losing 16 games which we talked about you know how losses aren't always the best indication but I think it just shows because every no that's not crapping on Nolan Ryan I'm from Texas and you know, I'll get excommunicated for doing that but Nolan Ryan's one of the best pitchers of all time, but it just goes to show that Sandy Koufax was right up there with him as far as strikeouts, but still kept the ball so under control to where he he never lost never lost the control, never put batters on base, and I just think that that's what makes that season all the more impressive was how many strikeouts with how few walks that he had. Exactly, and just going back to the introduction that you gave, that's why Kershaw's season in 2016 was so incredible is that he's striking all these guys out and he's not walking anybody which is obviously really difficult to do yeah no great pick great pick i like it all right so let's move on this is round four round four two more pitchers to go i'm gonna switch things up a little bit and go for i've got some some power arms in my staff so i'm gonna go a little more precision and this is another one that I had to debate which season to pick, but I'm going to go with 1995 Greg Maddox, who in that season he went 19 and 2 with a 1.63 ERA and a .81 WHIP. He had 181 Ks, which is nowhere near what some of these other guys got, but that's not what he was known for at all. Um, this was his this his fourth consecutive Cy Young award. So, you know, those early 90s Braves, the staff of Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, and Steve Avery, I mean, they were just dominant. But Maddox in that season was especially good because at 19-2, and it's the fewest losses by a pitcher in a season with 19 or more wins and the highest winning percentage in a season with 25 or more starts. And like I said, we talked about what wins and losses can somehow be, can sometimes be deceptive. But I mean, this was just peak Maddox of being that, that precision surgeon of, you know, cutting, you know, the corners of the plates, never throwing a bad pitch. And just for some aspects of it, especially if I'm going to roll out a rotation of Dwight Gooden, Bob Gibson, and Pedro Martinez, Greg Maddox is boring as shit. 
And that doesn't even, that's not just his pitching style without the flash. It's just him in general. And I wouldn't uh, call him boring. Beauty is in the eye of the Oh, well, well I mean, listen he, to this. So he was a technician. I mean, here's he a was... video. Here's a video from, uh, he was in the Padres um, broadcasting booth just a few seasons ago. Uh, his, I think when he was elected to the Hall of Fame. And so they were interviewing him and asked him about the mental aspect of pitching, which of course is what he's known for. So here's what he had to say. Greg, so many people talked about just uh, being, you know, having an understanding of what's between your ears. It's not necessarily velocity. It's not always the location. But that, that's basically what a lot of people, when they were challenged with that one-on-one against you uh, in competing against you, that's what a lot of people talked about. I mean, what do you say to that, that statement, just having it between your ears? Well, I think, uh, you know, I tried to understand how the hitter sees the ball, that, you know, how's the ball going to come out of my hand, what's it look like to him, and, and you know, that was kind of how I based my pitch selection, and, 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 you know, hopefully I threw it where I was, you know, trying to throw it. Uh, you know, that's the game. You know, you got to try to, you got to try to figure out how to get a strike on that hitter, you know. You're not really trying to get him out, you're just trying to, to get a strike, and if he does happen to hit it, it stays in front of the outfield. Oh my God, you are so dull, Greg Maddox. You, you are you are the most dull thing I've ever seen. You are human paint drying, but you are an incredible pitcher. Well, and what's interesting too is he also he, he looked like you know an accountant or something. He you know he would later he would wear the glasses on the mound later in his career, I believe, and and just had the overall sort of look of a of a guy that worked a nine to five job at a at a you know corporate big corporate uh, building somewhere. Yeah, like an eighth grade geometry teacher. Nothing wrong but with geometry teachers. In that, and so I went back and forth between his 94 and 95 seasons because in 94, he had the lowest ERA minus um, by right, a Right, but season. that deserves an asterisk because the Because season, of the strike. This, yeah, right. So, I mean, they yeah. played like 100 and something odd games that season. Um, and even the season you brought up, 1995, they played an abbreviated schedule. They only played 144 yeah. games that season because... It, the the strike from 94, the lockout, whatever you want to call it, had carried over so late into 1995 that they had to delay the season in order to get spring training in. Yeah. Yeah, and so that, and that, like, that's why I kind of swung my, my pick to 95 over 94, just because of the, there's a little bit more to choose from. But yeah, I would hate to punish, punish him for that because he was just so good. And the, the option of the game was to, you know, keep runners off base, don't let runs score, and that's what he did. He didn't do it with as much flair. He didn't raise his arms up and scream through his mustache like Randy Johnson or didn't throw balding old men to the ground like Pedro Martinez, but, man, Greg Maddox could just pick you apart. So I'm happy to have him as my fourth pitcher. Greg Maddox, 1995. Okay, interesting. I did not have him in my top 10, so interesting. But, I mean, very very good season, obviously. All right, round four, right? So we're almost done here. We've got to pick. Uh, you have yep. two more picks? No, I have, I have one more pick. You have oh, two you more picks. I'm sorry, you have one more pick. I have two more picks. Okay. Yep. I can't believe this, but I am going to take another left-hander. My pick is Ron Guidry, 1978. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I had him just outside my top 10. But, yeah, phenomenal season. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Guidry that season. I'm going to start with winning percentage. Again, not a big fan of the pitcher win, but it's worth noting. He had a 25-3 and record that season. That's the best winning percentage by a pitcher with 20 or more wins in the modern era. 
So obviously very successful in that, in that regard. He's one of five pitchers that had at least 250 innings pitched and an ERA minus less than 50 in the post-expansion era. Um, he's one of eight different pitchers in this post-expansion era to have an ERA less than 1.75 and a whip less than one in a season. And then finally, he had nine shutouts. That's the third most by a left-handed pitcher in the post-expansion era. And then, um, of course, the Yankees that season um, were down big time to the Red Sox in August, made an amazing comeback, tied them for the division title. They played a one-game playoff, which they won, and then advanced to the World Series. Well, advanced to the ALCS, which they won, and then advanced to the World Series, which they won. So all in all, a successful season for Guidry. Won the Cy Young Award, was a World Series winner, and was also runner-up to Jim Rice in the MVP balloting. Yeah, def- he didn't lose. I was looking up him. He didn't lose that season until July. So it was like all-star break, and he comes in there undefeated. And then, like you said, whenever it was pennant chase time, he was dominant again in uh, September and the late months of the season. So do you think, I mean, is he one of the most underrated single seasons ever? Because before, if we would have done this, list without looking up anything on stat news and i just just off the top of my head saying all right here's here's the greatest seasons of ever ever i don't know i don't know if i ever would have gotten to him is he is he one that's stuck out in your mind did you know that was a direction you were gonna you were looking i i knew his that season was a was a good candidate yeah for for this draft um probably one of the reasons people don't maybe know a whole lot about him is he's not a hall of famer yeah he his career was somewhat abbreviated and so he didn't really end up posting the uh, counting statistics that most voters would like to see. He never hit any of those magical milestones, you know, didn't even reach 200 wins in a career. Um, and so I think that's part of the problem. I believe, no, as I was say, I, I thought he was the first non-Hall of Famer that we've picked, but actually Gooden is also a, not a Hall of Famer. So he's the yeah. second non-Hall of Famer that we've selected in this draft. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, if it if we're we're good enough to go to the last round now, my my last pick that I'm looking at is another one that's kind of like Gooden, who had um, not a one season wonder, but definitely had one season that was far and above the best of the, the rest of them. So I'm gonna pick with my final pick, uh, Vita Blue from 1971. Uh, Vita Blue was a p- player before I started looking up this. Of course, I had heard of him, but I didn't know just how good he was in 1971. He was 24-8, 1.82 ERA, .95 whip, 301 strikeouts. And so we mentioned this earlier, talking about Steve Carlton uh, having 300 strikeouts and an ERA under two in the, in the same season. So one of the other pitchers to accomplish that was Vida Blue. So it was Steve Carlton, Vida Blue, Koufax did it in a year, and then Pedro Martinez did it. But I think Pedro did it in one of his Expos years because the the 99 year that I picked first, his ERA was just above two, even though he had 300 strikeouts. But yeah, in 71, Vita Blue was became the youngest MVP in Major League Baseball history. You know, he, and he still still has that distinction, even with uh, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout the last couple of years. Vita Blue is still the youngest MVP in MLB history. Um, just a phenomenal season, but then after that, he had a 3.39 career ERA and never struck out over 200 batters again. So my team, if we said just the best single seasons, not the best 
overall picture. So, you know, I passed up some Hall of Fame or legendary names to, to pick Vita Blue because just looking at the, the numbers, I mean, his his season was was better than some of even the the best pitchers that are household names. So I, I didn't really plan on having two one-season wonders on my team. Well, I guess Gooden was a couple-season wonder team, but Vita Blue is pretty much a one-season wonder. But that one season was really, really good. So what's interesting about this season is that – so he was – guy I was considering too. Um, he was on my list. But like there was a big sort of performance change after the All-Star break. So his stats at the All-Star break, listen to this. At the All-Star game, 17 and 3, 1.42 ERA and over 9 strikeouts per 9 innings. After the All-Star game, he went 7 and 5, 2.40 ERA and a little under eight strikeouts per nine innings. So quite a big performance change. You know, his ERA rose by almost a run and his strikeouts per nine innings dropped by a little over one. Hmm. Was he now, hurt wonder, at all? Do you know? Well, you know, like you were saying, he was he was young. And, and my guess is he was probably overused early in the season and sort of fatigue became a big factor um, after the All-Star game. Yeah, he threw 24 complete games that season, so... Yeah, and so it's 71. I mean, that's we talked about Carlton being the last 300-inning um, pitch, pitcher, but I think that was until 80. But this was where the transition was really starting, where post uh, Sandy Koufax's arm pretty much fell off, fell off of him while he was, you know, while he was trying to pitch. And this was when pitchers they started realizing, yeah, we can't have guys go out there and pitch three, four hundred innings a game. It's just not sustainable. So. Maybe, I don't know, we're speculating on that. Maybe that had something to do with it. But being that young and pitching that many innings, I mean, there's a reason why you saw, like, was Steven Strasburg, they didn't want to pitch him in the uh, in the playoffs that one year, the, the Nationals, just because he had reached his inning limit. And maybe there's, you know, we, we gripe about that and say he's a pitcher, that's what he's there for to pitch. But the medical science now, you know that you can destroy these pitchers' arms. So don't don't pitch too much. That's a good lesson for all your kids out there. Don't pitch yep. too much. Actually, all no. The, so all the my, kids, my, all the kids who are listening to this advanced stat discussion. No. So actually, though, my son plays baseball, and and the rules are really, really strict with pitchers. Like the league is, he's in, he's in the 11, 11 and twelve year old league. They can't throw more than three innings in a game, and actually they have to they have to count the number of pitches because actually it's a pitch limit too. So if they reach a certain number of pitches, they have to be yanked from the game. And then there's also a limit in terms of the number of innings or pitches they can throw in a week, etc. So they're really strict about that now. That's good. Okay, right. so let, we ready to wrap Last this pick, up? My, yeah, my team is done. So this is going to be our version of uh, Mr. Irrelevant, right? Like the NFL draft has Mr. Yeah. Irrelevant, the last <laughs> pick. But this guy was far from irrelevant. Um so I've gone with all left-handers so far, so I better better pick, pick a right-hander at this point. And I'm not just doing this because he's a right-hander. I would have made this pick anyway. I'm going to go with Tom Seaver, 1971. Which, just as an aside, with this pick, that means we took no seasons from Roger Clemens, which is interesting. Yeah, but, so yeah, I was, I'm looking at my list, and my last two that I have were Vita Blue and Roger Clemens, but Blue's numbers were better in every... just a. Uh, almost every circumstance. Uh, Clemens had fewer walks, and his uh, his pra was higher in uh, 1997 when it, uh, with the Blue Jays. But of course, that season is 
tainted in our memories and even even though we talked a lot about in the in the Caminetti podcast about how people make too much of you know kind of chastising players or not not giving players their due because of the the era or the admission of steroids because everyone was doing it i still found myself looking at clemens and saying that guy i i mean i i had i could could not care less about his alleged steroid use so that that has nothing to do with why i didn't pick him it just things fell that way um but now you're, you know, you're just my pick. Tom Seaver is standing here on the podium, ready to have great things said about him. And, and you're, talk, you're <laughs> talking like about Roger Clemens, Clemens and steroid use. Let, let's go to Mr. Seaver here. So Mr. <laughs> okay. Seaver in 1971, great season, won 20 games, blah. Uh, but he had 289 strikeouts against 61 walks. So once again, there's kind of a theme here, right? With a lot of these pitchers we're, we're selecting, it's like. They were guys who could throw hard, strike out a lot of batters, but they had control. Yeah. And if you, if you think about it, that's kind of what you want in a pitcher anyway. So Seaver it falls into that category. He's one of only four pitchers in this post-expansion era to have an ERA less than two and an FIP, fielding independent pitching, less than two. And his fielding independent pitching that season, FIP, was 1.93. That's the sixth best in the post-expansion era. So, you know... Seaver was not allowing runs, but he is also very good at controlling the things he could control, being home runs allowed, strikeouts, and walks. And once again, I mean, that's the recipe for success, right? If you can, if you have full control over the things you can control, you are more than likely going to be a great pitcher. No, no, I can't argue with that that pick at all. I had him just on the outside of my top 10. Yeah, so we look at some of the, there are a few other notable snubs, I think, like we talked no, no season from Roger Clemens, no season from Nolan Ryan, even though if we are doing like your top 10 best career pitchers, of course those two would be on there. But yeah, Ryan, Ryan was not even on my radar. We probably could have drafted 20 pitchers and I would not have selected Nolan Ryan at any point. Yeah, just because, like we said, his, his control wasn't as great. He was just, he was the flashy dominant pitcher that you don't want to charge the mound on because he'll put you in a headlock and beat your head in. Just ask but, Robin Ventura. Yeah. Also, I mean, of recent history, Kershaw in 2014, and even Jake Arietta last year, I was looking at his stats and had him in consideration because um, 22 and 6, 177 ERA, 0.86 whip, 236 Ks. I mean, that was a phenomenal season. And Clayton Kershaw's 2014 was eerily similar. Now, what about but, your uh, boy from Houston? You know who I'm talking about? Mid 80s guy from Houston, J.R. Richard. No, 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 no. Mike not Scott. Here. Mike Scott, the guy that was accused of scuffing the ball. In 86, he had one of those, like, just out of nowhere seasons where he struck out more than 300 batters and was just yeah. just amazing all year long and never really had another season like it. And I had uh, I had Gaylord Perry from 1972 on my list. Did he pitched an obscene number of innings that year, didn't he? Like 340-something? Yeah. yeah. But 24 wins, ERA under two, whip under one. Did you have any others? Any other snubs that we missed? No, I think you, you've not, not necessarily snubs, just guys who were kind of out on the outside looking in uh, because we, you know, we restricted ourselves to ten picks. So, but, so uh, go back to Clemens. What year would you have selected for Clemens had you drafted a Clemens 97, season? 97 with the yeah. Blue Jays. Yeah, m- mine as well. Yeah, but as I said, fuck that guy. 
All right, let's look at our, uh, let's recap our team. So these, this is my starting five. This is my, my rotation in this draft that we've just made up. So my ace is Pedro Martinez, 1999, followed by 1968, Bob Gibson, 1985, Dwight Gooden, 1995, Greg Maddox, and bringing up the, the end is 1971, Vita Blue. I'm pretty confident with that with that staff. All right, and I have Randy Johnson, 2001, Steve Carlton, 1972, Sandy Koufax, 1965, Ron Guidry, 1978, and Tom Seaver, 1971. And I All like right. my group. I like my group as well. I'm st- man. I'm still a little surprised you picked Randy Johnson with your with your first pick. That's that's crazy. It's, I'm not saying it's a bad season. I just I thought for sure you would uh, be stressing over the the high ERA and the high WHIP. But anyway, no, that's that's surprising. no. But like you it's surprise like me every day, Justin. When you adjust for ERA, those numbers don't look nearly as bad as well. They don't look bad regardless, but they yeah. look much much better when you adjust for the ERA. But as we wrap up this discussion. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Google Play or something like that, first of all, thank you. But second of all, head to our blog at blog.statnews.com. We're going to compile our each of our rosters with uh, their stats that we searched on StatMuse and have them pieced together so you can get a look at them and then tell us which one you like the most, which, which of us picked the better rotation, even though it's kind of hard because they're both just phenomenal, phenomenal pitchers and phenomenal seasons. But... Let us know. Tweet us at StatMuse or me at Chad J. Chad, bleh, or me at Chad J. Shanks, Justin at Jake Batco. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of Stat Stories.